Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I just pulled out a line from a movie that I can't remember. It stars Greta Gerwig, but I don't remember which one it was. It's all in black and white. And she always um, hollers out at her best friend, Ahoy, sexy! Oh, I and love I don't know why that. that just like came out of my mouth, but maybe we'll start every episode that way from here on out. I'm going to tell you something right now. I love Greta Gerwig. I love her. So do I. I've actually liked everything she does. I know some people get annoyed by her. Oh, I love it. I think it's, I think, I think the movie that I'm, talking about is Francis Ha. And I loved Francis Ha. Yeah. I'm so happy to be working <laughs> on the show with you. It's so fun. It, it's like so fun to uh, research, you know, each pod, each rom-com. But then it also, because I care so deeply, I get a little like, oh my God, what if I don't cover it properly? What if I miss something? What if, you know, what if somebody's like a super fan of this, of this particular movie, which I'm a little nervous about this one I'm about to cover because there's yeah, a lot. This one has uh, like a little bit of cult status. Exactly. And it's not just rom-com lovers. It's like musical theater lovers too, which they can be aggressive. Yeah. So please don't be aggressive to me. Just teach me. It's a teaching moment if I get it wrong, okay? Yeah. Just if we, if she misses something, just let us know and we'll <laughs> add it. We'll add like a, at the end of our next episode. Also, so sorry about the mistakes we made. Exactly, yeah. But we're going to lean in and we will make mistakes, but it's not intentional. No, absolutely. <laughs> and I have no doubt you did an amazing, amazing job recently. And I also one. don't know what crime Avrin's pairing with this. It's So I'm covering the rom-com horror rock musical. Try and uh-huh. say that fast. Rom-com. Rom-com horror rock musical. There you go. Um, Little Shop of Horrors. Woo! Because I'm a dentist. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) I love the songs from this. I mean, I love all of it. I love the camp. I love the... It came out, this movie, and I will give you a little backstory on like how the movie became, but it came out in 1986. And so you were like teeny tiny, but do you remember watching it as like a babe or as like a kid? No, no. I don't think I ever watched this until I was probably in high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. When I was discovering my love for musical theater and then I wanted to watch anything I could see yeah. that was musical theater. And this music is like, it's rock, it's poppy, it's fun to sing. And um, it is r- little little Shop of Horrors. You know, high schools do it all the time, which it kind of oh, has yeah. some intent. It's got like drug use and kind of rapey vibes here and there. So Skid Row is yeah. like straight up where it takes place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I never, I was never in a, in a production of it, but I do, I loved it. I did watch it as a kid. I watched a musical. My mom actually, she loved 
any kind of musical on a TV. On TV. I, I know it was my mom that I watched this with, and I was probably pretty young. Uh, and I remember really loving it, but also being like a little scared because the dentist part is scary. It is scary. Intense. And he's like, yeah. remember he puts on the, the um, laughing gas mask? Like he's just like mm-hmm. a psychopath. He's like a sadistic dentist who when he was a yep. kid, his mom was like, you, you got to be something big, but you can't be a priest because you're killing <laughs> animals. So go to be a dentist because it's okay to hurt people. And then I was just like, oh my God. Oh my God. Because yeah, everybody just expects that dentists are going to hurt them. Yeah, which is, you know, that is not true. I love to keep my teeth clean and I love to go to the dentist now, but... My God, when you're a kid, it's scary. It's like being oh vulnerable gosh. and opening your mouth. And then you see Steve Martin playing uh, Oren Scorville, DDS. Oh, my God. By the way, <laughs> Ellen Green plays uh, the character Audrey in this. And yep. she's like the ingenue, you know, and, and her voice is so it's like I can't even stop. So if I do it too much today, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I can't. I uh, also can't help myself. I saw it and I remember really loving it. And I always thought Rick Moranis was kind of cute. Is that weird? No. I mean, he especially in this when he's um, younger. You yeah. Know, he's like a dorky little like you just kind of want to put him in your pocket. That's it. I wanted to put him in my pocket. And as like a young child, I didn't like anybody, anything too like male or aggressive. So he was that perfect like kind of totally non-threatening. I like that. I, I really liked yeah. a non-threatening guy as like a seven-year-old. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Amazing. At seven, you were already aware that you were like, that's the kind of guy you want to hang out with. Exactly. Not threatening. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So Little Shop of Horrors, it was based on a film it, that came out in 1960 by movie director Roger Corman, which is a guy who did like tons of B-movies. And he, it was made on a dare in like two days. They had this set oh. that was up that looked like a flower shop. They wrote the script in like a couple days and they filmed it in a couple days. And fun fact, it is Jack Nicholson's first film role. Oh, right. First role in a movie. Yeah. And he plays the part that Bill Murray played. You know how we were talking about the sadistic dentist Steve Martin plays? Mm-hmm. Bill Murray plays the patient who's like the masochistic patient who kind of gets off on being tortured he's like yes doctor (laughs) anyway so that's Uh apparently what jack nicholson played so fun weird (gasps) just a little deep dive so then in 1982 it was made into an off-broadway musical production and it ran for five years it also ran in london as well but just to top line it real quick and then i'm gonna sort of get into it but it's about a hapless florist shop worker who raises a giant alien plant that feeds on human blood. Yeah. Basic premise. (laughs) I think it's kind of nice to have like a a top line. There we go. The music is by Alan Menken and lyrics and book and original direction by Howard Ashman. Do you know, and I'm sure you do, but I'm just going to say. I do. But tell the audience. These two people, after the movie, they were the people who created amazing musicals in my mind for Disney such as The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and others but yeah no I did I did know that in fact um, there's a great documentary about the lyricist yeah about Howard Um, and it's funny because actually the you know part of your world like the big aerial epic he said that 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 song actually grew out of the song Somewhere That's Green that he wrote for A Little Shop of Horrors. So if you listen to Somewhere That's Green, you can kind of hear like the beginnings of part of your world. And I don't know if these are the people who coined it, but this is, as I'm researching this and reading different articles and different musical theater things, they talk about the want, the I want song in a musical. And Mm -hmm. particularly, like you said, the one in Little Mermaid, but there's many characters have the I want uh, song and for example Audrey in this one she she wants a place that she wants to live 
in a, sub- a suburb. I just really like the dream. Like she wants to live like in a little house where there's some grass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So in 1996, it was made into the movie that you and I know well, and it was directed by Frank Oz, who is a well-known actor and puppeteer. And did you know he did the voice and the puppeteering for Miss Piggy and Cookie Monster and a bunch of others? So he worked with Jim Henson. And he also directed some of my favorites. So Muppets Take Manhattan. He directed The Dark mm-hmm. Crystal and a bunch of oh, them. Wow. I know. And I'm sorry, I'm like, I'm off my mic. I'm like, I know. No, and <laughs> and he also directed Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which is, I love oh, that movie yeah, so much. that's a good much. one. So it, it was a really good team. So Ev, I actually got to see Little Shop of Horrors live before the pandemic hit. Oh, wow. That's right. That's right. I saw it at the Pasadena Playhouse. And I had an um, like kind of a romantic, lovely experience with one of my closest friends, Rosie Guarino. It was a rom- like it felt like it was out of a rom com. Her and I went to you know because I don't get out much pre pandemic. I didn't get out much because I have you know young children, and she right. had gotten tickets. She has a friend in the show who I know as well, George Salazar, who was really good in it. So fun. We went to this like restaurant that was nearby that was like a fancy Italian, like, fine dining. Mm-hmm. We, we were literally the youngest people there by, like, 50 years. <laughs> and we had so fun, so much fun, and then we saw the show. And it, the only thing, and this is, inter- I think this is interesting, as I read different reviews for that particular performance, because, fun fact, Little Shop of Horrors was only on Broadway once, but it, it's meant to be an off-Broadway, small-scale yeah. show. It was on Broadway in 2003, but, you know, it took a long time for someone to be like, okay, fine, you can, it could be on Broadway, but that's it. And currently, right. it's actually currently on, it's currently off-Broadway right now. Oh. Yes, I know. I'm going to talk to our uh, our liaison in New York City, Mike Jensen, and see if he can go see it and he can give us like a little update of this yeah. production. But the production that I watched in um, at the Pasadena Playhouse People had a lot of bone to pick with it because the um, Audrey 2, the big plant, was mm-hmm. they used shadow puppets and it didn't it didn't work. Ah. It just didn't really work. I didn't notice too much because I was just so excited to be out and see my friend and right. do all the things. But so that was a fun. I just it was a magical so moment. They missed. They wanted to see the real puppets. Exactly. They to be shadows. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess I mean. I would have had to seen it to comment, but it was it just was lackluster. You didn't really. It, it's like they couldn't it, the the shadow puppet thing never worked it didn't you didn't really see it so then at the end which um, i'm not going to give away in case spoiler alert you guys haven't you know watched the show yet i i want to i want to unfold it like a like a mm. onion for you okay so <clears throat> unfold it like an onion so anyway <laughs> now unfold it like a warm blanket like a warm like yeah like like a <laughs> like a burrito or something although that would be sad if you unfolded a burrito it would be okay so so i guess we'll just go through it right let's do it yeah okay so we open on a scene down in skid row and the songs are so good you guys i i can't sing every song and i can't put every song in this but everyone you see all the extras are down on their luck and it looks really like a really dirty sad place and one of the maybe the worst people who we see is Seymour, who's who was an orphan, but taken in by a local flower shop owner named Mr. Mushnick. Mushnick. And Seymour is played by Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis. Moranis, yes. And he lived he lives in a basement and worked in the shop during the day. And <clears throat> throughout this movie you see these three street urchins they call them who essentially act as like a greek chorus and kind of give us 
give us the deal of what's happening wherever we are. And they're here to comment and help us out. And they sing in a doo-wop style and they play multiple characters, but they are known as Crystal, Ronette, and Chiffon. And the next scene we see, Seymour, he's in Chinatown and he's shopping and he's at like a plant, exotic plant store. He's looking for something different, special. A total eclipse of the sun happens and all of a sudden this exotic plant appears, tiny little plant. And he's like, oh, I'll take this one. But if you all know, it ends badly. And Never trust a plant that appears during an eclipse if you take anything away from this episode. <laughs> so he takes this plant back to his shop. He's there working with his co-worker, Audrey. And by the way, Audrey is, like I said, played by Ellen Green, who originated the role off-Broadway, which is rare. They don't usually bring someone right. from Broadway onto the big screen. Who knows? I think they do it more now, but yeah, back in the eighties, not it was always. Like, yeah, there are half the time there was someone else singing the songs for the right. famous actors. Yeah, right, totally. So, um, so we know that from the beginning that Seymour is in love with Audrey because he names his plant Audrey too, and he just mm-hmm. he just pines for her. Mushnik is there. There no, there's no business. It's Skid Row. I'm like, who is going down to Skid Row to buy flowers? I don't know, but. At this moment, Mushnik's like, you know what? Screw it. We're closing shop. Everybody, get out. We're done. And Seymour's like, no, you know, maybe you're not going about it the right way. Maybe we need to try something different. Hey, let's put this plant in the front, uh, in the front window. And by the way, the the genre is so campy, creature feet. You know, it's like, yeah, really saturated colors. It. It feels almost cartoon-like. But mm-hmm. so they put the plant in the front window and all of a sudden, ding, the door opens. And I almost like spat out my drink when I saw mm-hmm. it. it was Christopher Guest. And oh. like a very young Christopher Guest comes in and he's like, wow, that's a really interesting plant in your window. I'd like to buy roses. And he ends up buying <laughs> $100 in roses and saves the shop. And things just get better and better since that plant arrives. And Seymour becomes sort of like a horticultural phenomenon. He, he goes to like the radio shows <laughs> and, and people are, you know, the business is really good. So we find out that Audrey, who, like I said, Seymour loves secretly she actually she actually likes him a lot too but she doesn't feel like she deserves him and she has this horribly abusive boyfriend named Oren Scrivello DDS who like I said is the over over the top sadistic dentist played by Steve Martin and the scenes with him are I don't know it's 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 a good thing it's campy and over the top but it's so domestic violence abusive oh yeah it's like they're not trying to they're not masking it what he does to her yeah exactly I was kind of like oh maybe my I can watch this with my eight-year-old and I kind of I watched it first and I thought oh this is it's uh it's a little more than I want to explain right now so yeah she's always she always has bruises that she's covering up and Mm -hmm. and she like her arm gets hurt so it's in a sling it's like in a lace sling god bless anyways in the meantime Seymour is starting to get worried about the plant because it's getting weak it looks like it's not growing and his whole thing is he's like I'm a plant guy I make plants grow and he sings to the plant he's like I've given you sunlight I've given you rain looks like you're not happy Let's like open a vein. So it's the whole thing. He had cut his fingers and the plant's like. (coughs) So Mm -hmm. he says, I'll give you a few drops if that'll appease. Now, please, please grow for me. But to keep it alive, he has to feed it blood. And then eventually, Mm -hmm. you know what? It gets dark. It gets dirty. 
So now he knows that Audrey too thrives on human flesh and he does his best to give all his own blood to the plant. And by the way, the plant is voiced by Levi Stubbs of the Four Tops, like one of the old Motown groups. And he has mm-hmm. a great voice. It's amazing. And I, I, I've seen productions where people try to emulate his voice and it just doesn't right, they totally can't do work. No. Yeah. The, the one I saw, it was actually a female. Oh, cool. Audrey too, which which actually was really cool. And it makes sense. I mean, since it's Audrey too, it could be a girl plant. Exactly. And Audrey one was played by MJ Solar from Pose. Oh. So it was, it was a cool production that I saw. Anywho, even though the critics didn't like it, mm. I really I really enjoyed it. So mm, there. <laughs> okay, so we see Audrey now, played obviously. But I can't stop saying it. I'm obsessed with this actress. I don't know if she did much. I looked at her IMDb. Um, she's more of like a theater actress and she's done f- small parts here and there. And by the way, I found somebody showed me a clip of her and Jake Gyllenhaal like recently doing Suddenly Seymour together. And it's incredible. Oh, and I will share fun. it with you. Yeah, share that, please. And she she does it. She kills it. Because the one thing about her voice is like, she's always talking like this and she even sings a little bit like this and then she'll be like this. Yeah. It's just, she's, she's wild. Great. She's got such a fun, fun, like character voice as an actress, but then also an amazing singing voice. It's like, I, I, you almost feel duped. You're like, is, is this real? Is she, but she's really good. She's, she's got some power. And this is where we see her sing her I Want song, which is... Mm-hmm. Somewhere that's green. And she imagines their life together. And I love that line. She goes, I cook like Betty Crocker and I look like Donna Reed. There's plastic on the furniture. It's so good. All of the lyrics, I I think as an adult re-watching this, I'm like, damn, these... Guys are good. Howard Ashman, Ashman is an amazing lyricist. Yeah, very, just watch very it. If good. you watch it again, listen to the words. It's is very clever. So Seymour, after seeing the bruises from the dentist on mm-hmm. Audrey, he decides that, uh, you know what, this motherfucker's got to go. And I know just what to do. Yeah, because it's kind of like at this point the plant Audrey 2 is like I need more come on you know Audrey 2 is like isn't there somebody that could probably not be alive Seymour knows who that person is mm-hmm. Audrey 2 says feed me Seymour feed me all night long at this point Seymour is becoming fa- more famous and he's kind of getting caught up on it all he goes to the dentist's office mm-hmm. and it's a crazy scene the masochistic Bill Murray's character had just left and Seymour is like faking like he's gonna get his teeth cleaned but what this dentist does what Oren does is gets high before he works on his patients. And right. he really loves He's really show. into that nitrous oxide or whatever that gas yeah, is. <laughs> even much, so much so that he's got like an apparatus he's created that he just breathes nitrous oxide as he's working on patients. And all of a sudden, Seymour brings out a, a gun and he's going to shoot him. This is the moment. But then he dies of an overdose on accident. And oh. so great. He he didn't has a dead anyone. person, didn't have to kill anybody. And that's good because you kind of think of Seymour as like this kind person who would never hurt anybody probably, yeah. right? So the only thing is that he probably, he wouldn't get charged for murder, but he would definitely get charged for like decimating a corpse because he feeds yeah. it like limb to limb to the plant eventually. So it gets a little dark in that <laughs> way. He Fred Durst's his, his dentist. Ex- <laughs> ew, yes, exactly. Exactly. 
And so he, so he dies and great. Seymour didn't have to do much, right? Audrey and Seymour have their moment and they realize they love each other. So at this moment, the dentist is gone and they can't find him. Audrey feels like he left her. Seymour is like, well, would it be a, would it be so bad if something bad happened to him? And she's like, well, no, not that bad. You know, it would be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's when he sings to her. Mm-hmm. The most famous song from this show, of course. And he's like, lift up your head. Wash off that mascara. Here, take my Kleenex. Wipe that lipstick away. Show me your face. Clean as the morning. I know things were bad, but now they're okay. But also, I mean, people can have lipstick on and still be totally beautiful inside and out. So stop judging Seymour. (laughs) And then he sings suddenly, Seymour is standing Mm -hmm. beside you. You don't need no makeup. You don't have to pretend. And yeah, and then she sings in Avrin. Nobody ever treated me kindly. Daddy left early. Mama was poor. I'd meet a man and I'd follow him blindly. He'd snap his fingers. Me, I'd say sure. Suddenly Seymour is standing beside me. He don't give me orders. He don't condescend. Suddenly Seymour is here to provide me with sweet understanding. Seymour's my man. It's like the moment where we know that now, yeah, they love each other and that, that he's he's gotten what he's always wanted and she's gotten what she's always wanted, but she never felt like she deserved to have right. somebody like that. She's like, you don't know. I, I, I don't deserve it. I'm, I'm a bad person. I, as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, what is she even well, talking about? Yeah, she's been in an, in an abusive relationship, probably told that she's worthless over and yeah. over again. Yeah, just assumed that was all she was deserving of. But now suddenly Seymour. Exactly, and they're saved. And they have everything they want. But Mishnik, the owner of the shop, finds out what's going on. He saw Seymour chopping up the body. And he, in this movie, tries to extort him. And Audrey, too, sings... He's got your number now. He knows just what you've done. You've got no place to hide. You've got no place to run. He knows your life of crime. I think it's supper time. And so, <laughs> it, you know, one thing leads to another. And right. Mishnik, the plant basically is like, you got to kill Mushnik. Yeah. And he going to turn you in. Yep. He's, like, oh. He's like, oh, God, I didn't want to do it. It's too much. Seymour can't take it anymore and decides despite him about about uh, despite him about to be on the cover of life magazine and become a rich tv personality the more offers the more success the more killings he has to do so he's like it has to stop he proposes marriage to audrey and tells her she's like oh seymour and he tell and tells her they're gonna get they're gonna move they're going away so she goes home she's like we're getting married right now she goes home and puts on a gorgeous white gown which i love that she's poor but she has all these fantastic costumes yeah i'm glad for it i'm glad for it. theater theater exactly (laughs) um and the plant larger than ever which by the way at this point the plant took 60 people to operate oh yeah Audrey too gets wind and of them running away and 
it's this hilarious scene where he like finds change and puts it in the payphone inside the shop and calls Audrey one, the first Audrey. And mm-hmm. essentially she he gets her down to the shop and she comes and it's a like I said, it's a weird rapey scene where the plant's vines kind of lift up her skirt and she's like, Oh no, oh god, no. And he puts her in his mouth. Just then, as her legs are like twittering outside of the disgusting plant's mouth, Seymour barrels in and saves Audrey. And it is revealed that Audrey too, this plant is just a mean green mother from outer space and came to take over the world. So he's from outer space. That's is interesting, huh? So it's like yeah, it's yeah. like a sci-fi, you know, creature feature mm-hmm. slash rom-com slash rock musical slash horror. <laughs> Um, as the two try to escape, Audrey brings down Audrey two brings down the b- top of the building onto Seymour. And just when we think all is lost, Seymour's hands burst out of the rubble, and he grabs this live wire and electrocutes the plant. Audrey two. <laughs> and as the dust settles, he and Audrey hug so hard, and finally they escape in their love. And we see them, and she's got a nice new wedding dress on, and he, he's in a beautiful tux. We see them entering the idyllic yard connected to their dream home from Audrey's I Want song, Somewhere That's Green. Mm -hmm. And as Seymour carries his bride over the threshold, the three sea urchins, sea urchins, street urchins, (laughs) now dressed, I'm thinking Little Mermaid. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Now they're dressed as bridesmaids. They toe tap across the yard and the camera pans and we think all is well. But baby, it is not well because we see a tiny Audrey too in their garden and with a shitty grin on its face. If plants could have shitty grins on their faces, (laughs) the movie ends. Oh, so it's like they were setting us up for a sequel. Yeah. But this is interesting. This is just like a fun, by the way, fact of the actual filming of the movie, the ending. And you can buy it now that way. The ending was supposed to be it's in the director's cut. It was supposed to be completely different. Um, Audrey and Seymour get eaten and Audrey too blows up into the size of like a city building and dominates the earth in a fiery hellish scene. And they changed it because test audiences really hated Didn't it. Like they that. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted the a happy ending. ending. Yeah. The original ending. I read that too, was that everybody died and Audrey too took over the world. They but ta- people were like, wait, what? I know. People are like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let us like at least, they talk about it being very Faustian and like, you know, eventually right. humans are going to destroy themselves and kill themselves. You know, everything ends in destruction. But I like to have the positive ending, which do you, which would you prefer? I mean, I like the ending that I know, which is the happy ending. Yeah. I think it's fun to know that the original idea was to go, you know, all the way to the dark. Um, but I think that what kind of gives it that campy musical funness to it is that even though it's got some dark, creepy stuff going on, it all works out in the end. That's kind of how yeah. you think like musicals and campy stuff works out. So I'm glad that that was the ending I saw originally. And rom-coms, okay? And, and rom-coms. Rom-coms, rom-coms <laughs> have happy endings. They have to end happily. That's the point. But man, that makes me want to watch that again. It's been it's a long so time. It's so fun. And I yeah. wish that you and I could go to New York right now and go see it. Oh my gosh, I know. That would be awesome. Okay, Mike, I'm going to send you. You're going to be our person in on the ground in New York and you're going to go see it and tell us about it. I love you. Yes, tell us all about it. Okay, so Av, that's it. That's the rom-com. I mean, it is maybe a tiny reach for rom-coms, but like... Not in the month of October. Not in the month of October. So what do you got for us? Okay, so 
this was very funny in terms of trying to pick something out. I know I even did a poll where I was like, help me out. I'm trying to figure out what lane to go in. Right. And so I was like, should I find something that like somebody fed their victim? Uh, turns out that does happen. It's usually pigs. And um, it's usually there was like one serial killer that killed like I think over 16 people on his pig farm in Canada. But mostly it seemed like the stories I found were like gang related or cartel related. So not rom-com. Yeah. Like crimey and upsetting and poor pigs, man. Like yeah. They already have it bad enough. Don't like turn I was into actually living Yeah, I was actually yeah. living in Canada during the time when they found when they, the bodies on the pig farm and it was yeah. kind of close by where we were in Vancouver, British Columbia and it was pretty close. Yeah. And they were mostly sex workers. It was really yeah. sad. It's like really upsetting. So I did not want to do that. No. I was like, "No, I don't see how that really ties in other than it doesn't. It doesn't. Right. <laughs> and so then I was like, musical theater murder, like some horrific murder between cast members. And it turns out that, that we kind of already covered like the most salacious actor, theater, yes. theater actor murder with, with Wozniak, Daniel Wozniak. That's right. So then I was like, okay, coworkers, coworkers. I found a couple of stories, but they weren't like fleshed out enough. So I found a story about like this guy who worked at the San Francisco airport and was in love with his coworker. And when she was going to move away with her fiance, he killed her fiance thinking that like, if he got him out of the picture, he could just be with her, but it hasn't like moved forward beyond they caught the guy. So I decided there wasn't enough there for a story. And then I was like, what always stuck out to me the most about little shop of horrors. Yeah. And my memory of it is like the sadistic dentist, like, because you're a dentist, (laughs) you know? So I was like, okay, all right, I'm just going to look. For stories that include dentists. And um, we have actually covered one already about the dentist who hit her husband with her BMW. But it turns out that um, I guess being a dentist can be kind of a dangerous profession if you have a love life. Um, So (laughs) I'm going to tell you a story about a dentist, a doctor, and a dental hygienist student. And um, there will be murder. There will be love. There will be betrayal. There will be... Oh, some sad details, but that's my tie-in. Oh, and then another thing that made me say, like, this is totally it. One of our main players, <clears throat> she worked at a floral shop in high school. That was her part-time oh. job. So totally ties in, you guys. Absolutely. Perfect. Okay, so <laughs> in June of 2015, Brenda Delgado, a 31-year-old dental hygienist student, received a devastating email from her ex-boyfriend, Dr. Ricky Paniagua. He had met someone, and it was getting serious. This news would tip Brenda's obsession with Ricky and winning him back over the edge. So they were still friends. He emails her to be like, hey, I just wanted you to know I've met someone. Things are going well. Um, Like a friendly email. Um, Brenda met Dr. Ricky in August of 2012. And with three months, the couple was already living together. Brenda introduced Ricky to her family and the relationship appeared to be blossoming. By early 2014, Brenda was wearing a promise ring Ricky had given her and marriage seemed inevitable. She even took Ricky on a trip to Mexico to meet all of her relatives. But then in July of 2014, for reasons unknown, like they, I don't know that he could give her any specific reason, Ricky broke up with Brenda and she was devastated. Um, uh, one of her fellow students in the dental hygiene program at Sanford Brown College uh, said that her grades began to drop. And eventually she even like p- completely withdrew from the program for several weeks. Oh. And she was just completely destroyed by this sudden end to a relationship that she believed was headed towards marriage. She was wearing his promise ring. Um, Ricky, meanwhile, 
uh, seem to be trying to move on. So now we're in September of 2014. And Ricky, in an attempt to like meet people and get out there, signed up for a salsa dancing class. And um, the class was kind of like speed dating. Like men and women dance together for a few minutes and then you rotate to a new partner. And one evening, Ricky arrives at the dance studio and there's Brenda among the other students in the class. What a coincidence, right? Like she's there. Yeah. Um, so the two eventually come together through the rotation. And as they're dancing, um, the chemistry that had existed between the two of them just comes like right back. And they decide after this evening that they'll, they're going to give their relationship another shot. So they get back together. Um, but this time they opt not to move in. However, their lives, like most relationships, do become intertwined. Brenda's on Ricky's cell phone plan. He helps her out with some other expenses. And for a few months, everything is going wonderfully. And it seemed like maybe they were destined for that happily ever after that they didn't get to the first time. But the more Ricky thought about it, the less sure he felt about his relationship with Brenda. Like, Ricky, just, come on. I know, Ricky. But he was just like, I just the, there's a reason I keep wanting to end this that that's got to yeah. mean something, you know? And so he tells her in February of 2015 that there's just too many issues in his life that he needs to take care of. And he um, doesn't think it's a good time to be in a relationship. And um, Brenda this time is like, okay, uh, I understand. And the two agree to remain friends. Did she stay on his plan on his phone? <laughs> she did. Yeah. Oh, like, cause and they're, and they stay friends. Like they are, they are platonic pals. Now they text, you know, all the time to check in on each other, see how the other one's doing. They even run into each other. Like every other week or so, like Ricky runs on this trail all the time. And about once a week, he and uh, Brenda will run into each other over there. Um, and at the time, Ricky thinks all of this is just a coincidence, just like that salsa class meeting had been a coincidence. Mm -hmm. But Ricky thought wrong. Since their breakup... Brenda wasn't just keeping tabs on her ex by, like, stalking his social media like everybody does. She had set up a full-fledged, like, spying operation. She had Ricky's email and iCloud passwords. And since she was on his phone plan, she was also able to download an app where she could track his phone because oh, they were on a shit. shared plan. And she had a key to his apartment. And she would go into his place when he wasn't there and, like, look around for information. Brenda, come on. Yeah. So, uh... She would do things like take screenshots of Ricky's texts to the new woman that he had started dating. And she took screenshots, this is all found on her phone, of airline tickets he had purchased to take this new woman he was dating to Colorado. But Brenda was very careful. You know, she never said anything to tip Ricky off that she was, like, aware of things about his life that she shouldn't be aware of. Um, and... Uh, she also never did anything like creepy to the girlfriend. She didn't ever like reach out to her anonymously or send her threatening letters or anything. And it seems likely that in this scenario, Brenda remained a passive voyeur during this time because she sensed that this new woman wasn't going to last. Uh. Like this was not someone that she needed to worry about. And maybe she thought if she was patient and remained his good friend, Ricky would come back to her. And that possibility was what was keeping Brenda together. Like, she was able to like appear normal and be normal with yeah. him, with everyone in her life. But then in May of 2015, Ricky met Kendra Hatcher. I also, I'm going to make the joke once because we haven't gotten into anything too upsetting yet, but I just think, you know, Brenda and Kendra, like really oh, Ricky, yeah. my goodness. Um, <laughs> sorry, Ricky. Uh, but I was, it became confusing as I was writing the story out. I'm like, Kendra, not Brenda. Brenda, not Kendra. Okay. So Kendra was a 35-year-old pediatric dentist who looked like she could have been a toothpaste model. Like, 
green eyes, dark hair, perfect white teeth. Um, She was a Midwestern gal who'd grown up in a small Illinois town called Pleasant Plains, where she'd been the captain of both the cheerleading squad and the girls' volleyball team. She spent her free time and all of her school breaks working for Habitat for for Humanity. And after graduating from college, she enrolled at the University of Kentucky College of Dentistry because Kendra had a very specific goal in mind. She wanted to provide dentistry to children in underserved and... um, lower income communities. So she wanted to be a dentist that went out to poor neighborhoods and did dental work for the children in those communities. Um, And that's exactly what she did. So she became a pediatric dentist. And then in 2010, she had married her college sweetheart, but it didn't work out. So the two got divorced and she relocated to Dallas, Texas um, for a fresh start where she got a job working as a dentist at a uh, practice called Smile Zone. And it was located in an underserved community and and Kendra was doing what she'd always hoped to do so Kendra loved her job she loved Dallas and she loved her beautiful apartment in the luxury building Gables Park 17 in like the uptown section of Dallas Mm. so now she thought maybe it was time to look for love love as well So she, like most people, decided to try online dating. She signs up for Tinder, and when she saw Ricky's photo and bio, she swiped right, (laughs) y'all. They had their their very first date on May 24th at a little um, restaurant in Dallas called Cozy Kitchen with two Ks. So Cozy with a K, Kitchen with Mm. a K, Kendra with a K. Uh, And right away, the two became inseparable. According to Ricky, they just had the same values and and goals and their interests were just lined up perfectly. Um, So early that June of 2015, so remember their first date was May 24th. So early that June, the next month, after only dating a few weeks, Ricky shared the happy news of his new love with his good buddy, Brenda. Uh Uh-oh. And Brenda said... Oh, I totally understand. I would still love to be friends. And if you ever need anything, just know I'm always here for you. Um, She kept her tone bright and cheerful. But alone in her apartment, Brenda started to unravel. She got Kendra's name by reading Ricky's texts as she was, you know, doing. And then Kendra's Facebook wasn't private. So Brenda began um, stalking her Facebook page. And it seemed to Brenda like every day there was new photos of the clearly falling rapidly in love couple out and about doing like fun activities together, going on trips together, just having the time of their lives. And the more she looks at this, the more Brenda becomes obsessed. It seems at this point, whenever she was speaking to anyone, a date she was on, an old high school friend she met up for drinks, even her cousin, she would only talk about Ricky and Kendra um, and complain about them and then ask each of these individuals a date she went on, her cousin and an old high school friend, if if they would be willing to hurt Kendra in exchange for money. Now, Oof. nobody said yes. They, in fact, were like, um, no, and you need to just drop it and move on. However, did they say anything to, like, a cop? No. So, but they, they didn't take her up on it. So then Brenda turns to um, an old friend of hers, Jennifer Escobar. They used to work together in the mall, maybe at the floral shop. Specify. <laughs> um, and Jennifer was going through a really hard time with her boyfriend. So Brenda as a good friend and offering, you know, expressing deep concern for her, offers to let her move in with her. And then the moment Jennifer moves in, it is nothing but Ricky and Kendra, Ricky and Kendra, Ricky and Kendra are ruining my life. We've got to do something about this. She just constantly talks about destroying Ricky. um, So much so that like Jennifer is now looking for reasons not to come home until she knows like Brenda will be asleep or gone uh, because she just can't deal with it. And then sometime in mid-August... 
So that email came in in June. Now we're in like the middle of August. She offers to buy Jennifer a car if she'll help her take out Ricky and Kendra. She told Jennifer she wanted to beat Ricky with a bat and then kill Kendra by like, I don't know, sticking her with like a hypodermic needle full of drugs and then beating her to death. Um, Terrified by this psychotic person she's living with, um, Jennifer immediately moves out of Brenda's apartment. But again, does anybody call the cops? No, which I I just think is we'll talk about it afterwards. But she's like, okay, can't handle this lady. Now she's like, she's trying to buy me a car so I'll kill someone. And I just this is very terrifying. So she moves out. Then Brenda turns her attention to Crystal Cortez, who is a 23 year old single mom who had been a friend of Jennifer's. So the roommate Jennifer, this was one of her friends. And Brenda had met her when Crystal had come over to their apartment a handful of times. So her little boy could swim in the pool at the complex there. So Brenda starts befriending Crystal, inviting her out to dinner. And Crystal was a great listener. It didn't seem to bother her that Brenda always talked about Ricky and Kendra and bitched and moaned about how Kendra had ruined her life. Then she offers Crystal $500 in cash if she will help her get rid of Kendra. Being uh, broke and a single mom trying to provide for her kid, Crystal's like, okay. $500? I feel like that just has to show you, one, this is a 23-year-old who's being clearly like manipulated by yeah. someone into thinking like her, this is her good friend, you know, and she's helping her friend out and she's going to get some money in it, but still bad choices, Crystal, bad choices. <laughs> so after Crystal agrees for several days, the two women tail Kendra around Dallas to learn her schedule and they discuss various ways that they could kill her. They could drug her or they could kidnap her. Um, but in the end, they decide that shooting her with a gun would probably be the easiest way to get it done. However, neither of these women know how to use a gun. So they decide that they need to find a hitman to add to their murder squad. Shout out to the murder squad. I love that podcast. <laughs> um, so the girls drive over to Crystal's neighborhood because remember, Crystal was a single mom who lived in an, in an area where there was a lot of poverty. And because apparently they're like, we can find someone out here who will kill someone for money. Um, and they just start asking around Crystal's neighborhood. And eventually they find a young man named Christopher Love, who was a small time marijuana dealer with aspirations of starting his own prostitution ring. He just needed the startup capital. Oh, well, like, there you have oh, it. Oh, goodness. So they start talking to Christopher. And to impress him, Brenda lies and tells him she has connections to a drug cartel and that if he would help kill Kendra she would pay him in a combination of drugs and cash totaling around $3,000 and seeing this as an opportunity to get his business plan off the ground Christopher agrees he actually tells the women that he already has a gun they don't need to purchase one and not to worry he knows how to do this okay so now we're in late August that was all mid-August now it's late August Ricky and Kendra take another vacation together to San Francisco where they posted tons of happy photos on Facebook. And then they also post about an upcoming trip to Cancun that they're going to be taking for Labor Day. After only three months of dating, Ricky and Kendra were already talking about marriage. Like these two were in love. They'd only been together for three months, but they were planning their future. In fact, they had even decided to start a wedding fund, like setting aside money for their eventual wedding. Also in late August, Brenda graduated from Sanford Brown Dental Hygienist School. And according to friends and family at this time, she seemed perfectly happy and she was looking forward to her future. You know, she'd finally graduated school. This is what she wanted to do with her life. 
And seeing as Brenda and Ricky were still good friends, they were, they were still buddies, he sent her a text wishing her well on her final exams. But then he also let her know that on August 31st, he was going to take her off of his cell phone plan because he's in a serious relationship now. And then also, surprise, he got a job offer in California and he's going to be leaving Dallas and moving there in October. And this news spurred Brenda into action. She was going to lose Ricky. She knew it. He was going to move 1,700 miles away, and no doubt he would take Kendra with him. So she decides that September 2nd is the day, the day, the murder day. Oh, God. And she picked this day specifically because it was the day before Kendra and Ricky were going to fly out for their Cancun vacation. So Brenda and um, Crystal had borrowed a friend's BMW that was going to be like the the getaway car or whatever but something was wrong with the car like the accelerator wasn't working so they take it to Brenda's friend Jose who runs like a an auto body repair shop and he agrees to let them borrow his Jeep Cherokee while he works on the, the broken BMW um, again not knowing why you know just like you yeah. can take my car while I work on this car um, then Crystal drove Brenda to the library where she would no doubt be seen by other people there studying Crystal then picks up Christopher Love and the two drive to Smile Zone, which is where Dr. Kendra Hatcher works, and they wait for Kendra to leave. When she does, Crystal and Christopher follow um, follow her, but they lose her in traffic because Kendra didn't head straight home. She actually took a detour to stop by a friend's apartment and borrow her waterproof camera for her vacation. So Crystal and Christopher actually beat Kendra to the parking garage of her luxury building. So they pull inside and they wait. When... Uh, the white Toyota Camry that Kendra drives pulled in. Christopher hopped out of the car, approached her vehicle, and when she stepped out of the driver's side door, he shot her in the head. He then grabbed her purse and the camera and ran back to the getaway car with Crystal at the wheel. And the two sque- like peeled out and took off. At the exact time that the murder took place, Brenda was having dinner at Chili's with her friend Jose, the guy who had let her borrow his Jeep. And when Brenda got home, she called Crystal to confirm that everything had been taken care of. So now we're back to the day of the shooting. Detectives arrive at the Gables Park 17 parking lot and they find Dr. Kendra um, Hatcher lying dead on the floor, the ground oh. next to her car. They ran her plates to find out who she was. And they're they're completely shocked. Like this is a a luxury building with like a gated you have to have like a fob to get in so clearly whoever did this snuck in behind a resident type thing um and this is a pediatric dentist like who would want this woman dead they're thinking maybe this was a robbery gone wrong because her purse is gone um, right right but the way that she had been shot in the back of her head oh. seemed more like an execution but again who would want to execute this like kind lovely dentist that as far as anyone knows has no enemies so the only evidence police have to go on is a grainy surveillance video from like the garage security cameras and it did show a black jeep cherokee exiting the parking garage basically like within moments after the murder took place so police decide to release the video to the media asking for the public's help when um, Jose Ortiz is watching the news later that evening, he completely freaks out when he sees his car on the news as a car connected to a murder. Oh, my God. Um, so he calls Brenda and he's like, what the hell? You borrowed my car and I just saw the news and it says that someone was driving that car and they killed a lady and used my car to get away. And Brenda's like, oh, 
I I let Crystal borrow the car. I wasn't driving it at all yesterday. Remember, we even had dinner at Chili's together. And then she's like, I think Crystal has a drug problem. And maybe she was there to buy drugs or something. And then Jose is like, well, what am I supposed to do? How can I drive around in my car now? Like, it's connected to a crime. And then uh, Brenda's like, well, I think you should paint it a different color. Guess what? I'll even pay for you to paint it a different color. And then, like, let's never talk about this again. But Jose's like, uh, no. Finally, somebody goes to the cops. Okay, I was going to say, I was like, what the hell is wrong with people? Do, does uh, no one have any moral compass? I'm like, oh my God. So instead of keeping quiet and painting his Jeep like yellow, um, he goes <laughs> to, the police off, the, to the police station and he tells them that it was his car in the video and that he had loaned it to his friend, Brenda Delgado. So then Brenda's brought in and she tells police that she had, yes, she had borrowed the car, but she'd loaned it to her friend Crystal and had... And um, when asked where she was at the time of the murder, she was like, I was at Chili's with a friend. Oh, you know what? I even have the receipt right here. Do you want to see it? So with her alibi, just, you know, like airtight, but also suspiciously ready and waiting for the cops. um, She's, you know, she's left in the room. They're verifying the receipt. And then Crystal, meanwhile, while Brenda's waiting, is brought in as well for questioning. So Crystal cops to drive in the Jeep, but she starts off. By saying, it was horrible. I was carjacked at gunpoint and forced to drive into this parking garage. My son was in the back seat. And um, I had no choice. He made me. There was a gun. And the cop's like, I'm calling bullshit on your story. Yeah. Like, we just called. Your son was at school today. Like, he wasn't in the car with you at the time. Or, you know, with all this stuff happening. And then she's like, okay, all right. I was lying. You're right. I was lying. I, <laughs> I, I drove there because I was told that we were going to rob this woman. But I knew nothing about anyone trying to kill her it was just supposed to be a robbery i really didn't know but police continue to press the 23 year old and eventually she cracks and she's like my friend brenda paid me and this guy christopher love to kill kendra then detectives go back in where brenda's sitting there oh my god and they try to get her to break and the cop doesn't like come hard at her he says um on the dateline episode uh he said that he tried to kind of talk to her almost like he she was his daughter where he was like we all know what it's like to get our heart broken to feel like the thing we want more than anything doesn't want us and how much it hurts you know it must have been so hard you know like was it that he just wanted a dentist now not a dental hygienist and he starts like pushing all the buttons of like why she would want this done but she remains solidly quiet and because she has an alibi and only one person who also told like five different stories about what she was doing in that Jeep, they have to let her go. What? Yeah. So meanwhile, Crystal's arrested on capital murder charges. Police also find Christopher Love. And in his car, they find the gun that was used to kill Kendra. So he's now arrested. He's brought in. He corroborates Crystal's story that Brenda had hired him to kill Kendra. And then police finally are like, all right, now we can arrest Brenda. But. They were too late, y'all. Just a few days earlier, Brenda had boarded a bus to Mexico and she was gone. Oh, no. Yeah. So back in 1982, Brenda's father moved his family. So it was him, his wife and his five kids. Brenda was the second oldest and the only girl in the family. And they relocated from Mexico to Texas. Right. So she's a dual citizen. Ah. So she's also a citizen of Mexico as well as the U.S. So for six months. Brenda hides out in Mexico with various relatives, like carefully moving whenever it feels like maybe they're getting close to finding her. 
Eventually, they bring in the FBI to, and they make an announcement that Brenda is being added to the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Oh, my. Which, just a, like a little fun fact, she was the ninth woman ever in the history of the list to be on this list. There's only ever been nine That's women put on the FBI's 10 most wanted. And so with her being placed on the list and now there being a reward of $100,000 for information leading to her capture, the tips, they start a pouring in. Bada so bing. before where they couldn't, where they couldn't get anybody to talk, now everybody knows where she is. And um, she's apprehended by Mexican authorities. She surrenders. And because she's a dual citizen, um, Mexico actually has the option to like not send her back. And so they say the only way they'll send her back is if the death penalty, because this is Texas, y'all, is taken off the table. The prosecution uh, or the district attorney's office agrees um, to take the death penalty off the table and she is returned to the U.S. So they're in a bit of a pickle here. They know they know they've got the right people, but the evidence against Brenda, who is the mastermind of this whole plan, meaning like the most guilty of the all the people right. involved, they have the least evidence against her. Right. Like there's no it's all circumstantial and it's all the word of these other two players. So as someone who was only a getaway driver, they give Crystal a plea deal. She can serve 35 years with the possibility of parole in 15, but she has to testify at both Christopher Love and Brenda's trials. Like she has to be their star witness. And she agrees. So they try Christopher first. He's tried in October of 2018. And with Crystal's testimony as a record of what happened, it takes jurors just two hours to find him guilty. And Christopher now sits on death row in Texas. Oh. Then came Brenda's trial in June of 2019. For the whole trial, Brenda um, wore like all black and like little black glasses, you know, looking just like almost like a young schoolgirl. And never looked up. She always had her head down the whole trial. She never looked at her own family. She never looked back at the people in the gallery. She never made an attempt to look at even Kendra's family or anything like that. But when Ricky took the stand, Brenda's head came up and she fixed her eyes on him for the entire time he was up there. But he refused to look back at her except for when he was asked to identify her. In the end, it took jurors 20 minutes to find Brenda guilty of capital murder, and she is now serving life in prison without the possibility of parole. So how did this happen is what everybody wanted to know. Nobody in her life, including Ricky, could believe that Brenda was capable of this. Even like as people were starting to accuse her, her family hid her in Mexico because they're like, this, there's no way our daughter did this. Even Ricky reached out the night Kendra was murdered. He texted his friend Brenda to like tell her the devastating news and her response was I'm so sorry I'm here for you if you want me I can bring groceries tomorrow like let me help Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah but like he couldn't believe it um and nobody could and so some say that Brenda is afflicted with obsessive love disorder which is a psychological term used to describe someone who is fixated on possessing another person and is willing to do whatever it takes and so here's how I tie this in Do we think maybe Seymour had obsessive love disorder so much so that he was willing to feed body parts (laughs) to an alien plant so that he could be with his Audrey? That's my tie-in. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, my God. That is But what a crazy crazy. story. Yeah. And the thing that I find the most frustrating is as I, I read several articles, I watched... Um, a Dateline and um, an Oxygen show about this. And just the sheer number of people that were asked 
if they would and or knew someone that would be willing to maybe commit violence, not necessarily murder. Several times she asked, like, just to scare her, stuff like that. But she was clearly, she was trying to hurt this woman in some way, whether or not anyone thought it would go as far as it did. And the fact that nobody said a word I know, is astonishing. And I think that really does go to the fact that that's how unbelievable it was that this woman could switch like that could that become somebody capable of this. Yeah, because even in our last episode with the practical magic where the neighbors n- knew about yeah. her trying to kill her husband, they had called the police on her. And she yeah. didn't even do anything yet. You and know? she didn't get away with it. Yeah. yeah. So this one was my, that was my little plot of horrors story. I like it. I, I mean, yeah. I appreciate that story. I, I feel, I don't think... I'm not sure if I've heard that. What what would you say? Something love disorder? Obsessive love, uh, obsessive love disorder, Obs- which is like a legitimate. I don't know if it's a legitimate diagnosis, but it is a legitimate psychological term used to describe huh. somebody like yeah. that. That's interesting. I think when we first started doing this, we may have come across that, but I haven't heard a story like this. It's it's a sad. I feel bad for Kendra and her family oh gosh, and Ricky. And her family and Ricky. Yeah, like, and they they did say that you know Ricky carries around so much guilt because how was he to know? You know I mean, I he mean. how was he to know? But also, he knows that he is the one that brought Brenda into their lives because he had dated her before and kept her around as a friend, and so he carries a lot of guilt, even though he's not responsible right. in any way, shape, or form. Um. Yeah, it's a wild Goodness. story. Wow. Well, thank you for that one, you guys. So we actually have some fun news that we get to, I think, announce now, right? Yeah, I think we do. Okay, so let me just tell you what we've been hiding a little bit. We are super excited to announce that we've joined a new podcast network called Connected Podcasts. And it's kind of cool. Connected Podcasts it's like is a new mission-driven network focused on helping podcasts like ours grow and thrive. And we are super thrilled to be a part of a network bringing positive content to the world through diverse voices and perspectives. And maybe ours is like funny instead of positive it's we're positive whatever be sure to check some of their other awesome shows out um including dismembering horror which is a horror yes film uh, commentary podcast yeah really interesting really great if you're into the horror genre there's also a parenting podcast that i started to listen to called the integrated schools podcast that i really am fascinated by it talks about um segregation in schools and integrate it's really interesting so they have a bunch on their docket and that's c-o-n-n-e-c-t-d connected yes we're so excited yeah we are we're on a network now y'all yay We love you guys so much, and we will talk to you next week with our next Halloween-themed rom-com slash true crime. Thanks for listening. Rom Crime. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rom Crime. If you did like it, please rate, review, and subscribe, all those good things, and share it with a friend who you think might be into the rom-com true crime genre that we're dipping our toes into. Follow us on all social platforms at Rom Crime. We'll see you next week with another Rom Crime with Avern and Vanya. Produced, directed, edited, and researched by us. Till next week.